This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. Shop for your next car the convenient way, 100% online with Carvana. Getting pre-qualified takes less than two minutes. Then see your real terms as you shop. Visit Carvana to finance your dream car the convenient way. The adult animated series Velma chronicles the origin story of the bespeckled brains of the original Scooby Gang. We meet Velma, Fred, Daphne, and Shaggy in high school as Velma struggles with mean girls, a neglectful father, a missing mother, patriarchal beauty standards, same-sex attraction, and a serial killer. Velma is voiced by the show's executive producer, Mindy Kaling, and the rest of the show's voice cast features many of your favorite comedians. I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Velma on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. The world of podcasts can feel overwhelming. We'll let you in on the easiest way to find your next favorite show. Head to npr.org slash podcasts. From politics to pop culture to music and everything in between, you'll find a selection of shows that'll make you a super fan in no time. Instead of scrolling mindlessly, engage mindfully with the NPR app. With a mix of on-demand news, stories from this station, and your favorite podcast, you can relax without shutting off your brain. Download the NPR app today. Joining me today is NPR contributor Serena Toros. Hey, Serena. Hey, Glenn. Hey. So it turns out that long before they got a dog and a van and started solving mysteries involving rubber masks and real estate fraud, Velma, Fred, Daphne, and Shaggy went to school together at Crystal Cove High. Velma, voiced by Mindy Kaling, is an angry, opinionated young woman who alienates pretty much everyone around her, except for her old friend, the hot girl Daphne, voiced by Constance Wu, and the nerdy Norville, who will become Shaggy, voiced by Sam Richardson. Eventually, even the rich, sexist pig Fred, voiced by Glenn Howerton, comes around to Velma even as she bulldozes her way through those friendships in her desperate search to find her missing mother. That search is tricky for Velma as she suffers from traumatic hallucinations whenever she starts investigating a mystery, hallucinations that can only be dispelled by laughter. Which the show works hard to supply, crammed as it is with jokes and meta-commentary about everything from deep Scooby-Doo lore to Hanna-Barbera animation to comedy script structure and more. Velma was developed by Charlie Grandy, a veteran of SNL, The Daily Show, and The Mindy Kaling Project. It is streaming now on HBO Max. Serena, you got some Scooby history on you. What'd you think of this? You know, unfortunately, this one was just not really for me. Mm -hmm. I was kind of excited when I saw that they were making this show, to my own surprise even, because I think I am so staunchly against reboot culture, and yet I kind of realized that this franchise of Scooby-Doo has a lot of goodwill with me. And I think a lot of people, I think, were overall pretty excited to see it. Mm -hmm. There have been a lot of iterations over the years. I think I've seen most of them. The original cartoon that started in 69. Uh, I think I saw the animated movies of the 90s. I saw mm -hmm. both live action films in the 2000s and then have kind of trailed off since then. But I think this show is more of a vehicle to tell jokes than it is a vehicle to explore the character's backstory of Velma or to really think further about sure. like who these characters are, their backstory, their lore, or even to further what it could be like for them to be teenagers in today's society. I think it's missing mm -hmm. like a little bit of the magic of the cartoon, which 
is a mystery and is so specific to that detective genre that I think detective fiction is so much about societal issues and that, you know, the detective is the vehicle to exploring that, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And I think trying to center the characterization here really just doesn't work for me. It is more of like a series of tweets mashed into a script than it is <laughs> <laughs> anything else. All right, I get that. I'm only going to push back just the slightest bit because, I mean, you mentioned joke density. That's, that's what I'm all about. I love me some joke density, and this show supplies that in spades. In the early going, did I think they were throwing out more meta-commentary than commentary, more meta-jokes than jokes? I think they went to that well a bit too often in the early going. Give me the r ground rules before you start throwing out all the exceptions to the rules. And then I also thought it went for the sex stuff right out of the gate. I need a bit more <laughs> foreplay. But, you know, you and I talked about Harley Quinn a while back. And yes. when Harley Quinn started, I was saying exactly those same things. I had exactly the same concerns. I've come to love Harley Quinn. And I think I understand why they're doing it here. It's like they're trying to offer a mission statement. They're coming at you with this hoary, venerable IP, and they need to say, here's what we are, here's what we're not, which is exactly what Harley Quinn had to do, right? They had to say, here's what we are, here's what we're not. If it's a bit insisting mm -hmm. on itself in the beginning, if it's a bit strident, I get why they're doing it. I came to love Harley Quinn. I don't know if I'm going to come to love this show, only because even though I was deep in the pocket, in terms of age group for the original Scooby-Doo series, it never grabbed me. I mean, um, I'm aware of the Sarah Michelle, Freddie Prinze movies. I'm aware of their work. But, I mean, I just think these characters are incredibly flat. And, like, those cartoons back then were really <laughs> bad. <laughs> and they were. And so, like, I, I'm okay that they make jokes out of these characters because I think these characters are flat enough as it is. What I do like about the show most is that... In the year 2022, it's not pretending that these characters haven't been around and haven't been fully digested by the uh, pop culture commentary machine over the past few decades. I mean, the sexual identity of Velma, for example, has been the subject of pop culture snickering for decades now. <laughs> and I like that as gleefully crass and, you know, self-consciously adolescent as the jokes on the show can be, when it comes to Velma's sexuality and Daphne's sexuality, for that matter— it doesn't go for the easy laugh. She's allowed to kind of live in ambiguity. And that's, I don't want to say anything about the show is sensitive, but it is surprising in the same way like mm -hmm. <laughs> the Shaggy and the weed jokes, right? I mean, that's the thing that we came to expect and I kind of girded my loins for them. But, you know, here he's presented as straight edge because he's not Shaggy yet. He's still Norville. And I kind of like that we're not having to swim through all these pre-digested jokes. We're getting new ones. They don't all work. Yeah, I think speaking of Norville kind of the one-dimensionality of the original cartoon characters, I do agree there. And I think it's so easy to see that as a space, like a, a sandbox in which to play in. Just the way they chose to take each of these characters didn't fully land for me. The exception being mm -hmm. Norville. I thought it was hysterical that instead of him being kind of like uh, a paranoid, anxious stoner, he's <laughs> self-described beta male. Yep. I think he would just self-describe as well-adjusted, but he is a bit maladjusted. I see what you're saying about how it is kind of refreshing that Velma's exploring her sexuality and they don't label it in the show. But I do think the sexual tension, if you will, between her and all of the other members of the mystery gang yeah. really doesn't work for me. I find Velma to be deeply unlikable. And so yeah. finding anyone to be attracted to her is a bit of a stretch for me. 
Uh, Daphne, why are you talking to that? Oh, I get it. You have more at stake because I'm not as popular as you. What? You're not popular at all. Well, let's see how popular you are after I kick your perfect ass, Daphne. (laughs) (laughs) This is kind of the problem I have with a lot of Mindy Kaling shows, and I Mm -hmm. respect that this is just, like, her signature, and so if you love it, you love it, but it's not for me. But I just feel like all of her characters are really mean, especially her protagonists. Mm -hmm. I understand that this writing is supposed to be, like, empowered and that the bullied loser girl who isn't stereotypically all-American attractive proves how much better she is than everybody else. And at some points, it does kind of interrogate this idea. Mm -hmm. I think especially there was an episode in which they are trying to turn the hot girls into ugly girls and examining why there is that dichotomy between womanhood that you have to be hot or ugly and there's no middle ground. And one of the characters, Olive, does say, like, your definition of womanhood is even more restrictive than ours. But you're more than your looks, Olive. You can reverse your car without even looking at the camera. I know, Velma. Just like I know I love looking hot. You think every girl deep down is like you, but you're wrong. In fact, your definition of womanhood is even more restrictive than ours. And I thought that was very self-conscious and cognizant. And then they do kind of abandon that and go right back to the mean girl. Velma's better than everybody else, even though she is just kind of a horrible person. Yeah. So I don't know. I find that very frustrating. And I recognize that it is supposed to be some sort of commentary on that, like, the loser girls are not always people we want to root for. The resentment does kind of turn you ugly on the inside as well, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It really wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. That's that's my favorite episode because I do think it is allowing the Velma character to be self-righteous and attack the patriarchy and point out how witless and vapid and dumb everyone around her is, but also be the butt of the joke. Now, that is good, but the way the show approaches that, the way the show executes that sometimes the show comes awful close to making fun of wokeness, which seems really toothless. I mean, there's a line in there where I think uh, the sheriff gets on the radio, or maybe the mayor gets on the school PA system, and he says, I've just learned that someone somewhere was offended, and the whole school panics. And that is such a boomer, yeah, like, sensibility. That is so, like, what are we doing here? It gets a little closer when Fred tries to deliver a pizza and screws up, and he says, I tried, but I only got halfway there. That's me living up to my status as a male feminist. Now, that's too wordy and too sweaty, but there's something there. But, like, it plays in this space where you can't really get a bead on its outlook. I, I think the show is trying to – it's making jokes. It's not It's not saying much. Yeah, and I think I get this impression that – They've done the reading, but they haven't really absorbed it. Yeah. This show is making uh, a lot of statements on sexuality and gender roles and race, maybe a little bit, like a smidge of race, because they have race bent the cast of the original four characters. It's kind of like 101 sort of humor, a kind of hand wavy humor, where I think the most incisive way to make comments on society and, you know, sexism and patriarchy and all of that is to be very specific in it. And there's a joke in, I think, one of the first episodes where Fred says, since Brenda died, I can't stop crying like a total puss. And I cringed away from Mm -hmm. the screen to hear the word puss. (laughs) And I just felt that was very indicative of kind of this 
this juvenile humor, this juvenile understanding of, you know, social justice, if you want to call it that. Exactly. But every time, Serena, every time I'd find myself <laughs> getting restless, every time I would cringe, every time I'd be like, well, that, that was a kind of a, a dated, hacky boomer reference. The voice of some comedy actor I love would start pouring out of the mouth of some, like, ancillary character, and I would be locked back in. I mean, we've mentioned Kaling and Howerton and Wu and Richardson, but seriously, Stephen Root, Wanda Sykes, Melissa Fumero. You know I ride for Wanda Sykes. Everybody sorry. rides for Wanda Sykes. Nicole Byard, <laughs> Ming-Na Wen, Gary Cole, Jane Lynch, Weird Al, Cherry Jones, Serena. <laughs> Cherry Jones. I felt catered to up to Cherry Jones, and then I felt targeted. You know what I mean? I felt like, oh, they got my number. I think because Kaling and her showrunners are kind of plugged into this comedy space that they just, it's, it, it inspires in me a kind of fondness for the show that I don't think the show itself is earning and the writing isn't earning, but the performances are. Is there anything to say about like the fact you mentioned the race swapping, the race bending? Velma is Indian American. Norville is black. Daphne is Asian. This caused some kerfuffle. I mean, one of the first clips that went online from this show was, you know, Velma experiencing some same-sex attraction, and that caused people to be predictably people. Is there anything to say about what the show's doing there except shut up bigots? Or It does feel a little lazy to make them hmm. certain races and then not explore at all the way that impacts who they are as people. Yeah, I think aside from Norville, I found the idea that he is a biracial black teenager very interesting in the way that he was so straight-edged and straight-laced that he is really trying hard to steer away from stereotypes of, like, he's not a stoner, he's not a criminal, he's not, you know, sex-obsessed. He is, you know, the product of a principal and a high school guidance counselor, and he is just as nerdy as you would imagine that upbringing would make him. Uh But otherwise, I mean, there was kind of a tasteless joke of Daphne's an Asian girl with naturally red hair because her mom smoked too much when she was pregnant. And I was like, "Uh," I mean, that character is a little bit more interesting (laughs) because she's adopted and also adopted into a biracial marriage, but they don't really explore that much either. I do feel it worked for Mindy Kaling's character. I feel like this quite a bit where, you know, I'm Mexican-American, but I feel very divorced from that experience and heritage because I have, you know, a parent who was so formed by racism that he aspired very intently to become white and identifies with whiteness and white culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very much what Mindy Kaling's Mm -hmm. whole writing persona is around. That's a frequent critique of her that all of her characters are obsessed with whiteness and all of the love interests in her shows are white. Mm -hmm. So I feel like for her that works because that is her MO. But for the other ones... I could have used, you know, like, sure, you chose to make this character Asian or black, but, like, how does that impact who they are as people? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think what I keep responding to about this show is the meta stuff. I mean, like, there's meta jokes, but also, like, the meta stuff surrounding it, the voice cast, and uh, the the fact that it's making these commentaries about race programmed into its DNA is this, well, why are you taking this seriously? We're just, these are just jokes, right? So there's, you can't really come at this show with any kind of sustained critique about how it treats race or how it treats sexuality because it would just, it's just going to roll over on its back and go, oh, why why are you taking this seriously? These are just jokes we're throwing out, mile a minute. Like, that's, like, this is, you know, it is 
it's critique proof, it's critic proof, um, and it's designed mm-hmm. to be that way. Yeah, there are some funny ways that it you know spoofs on the source material. I think towards the end it does pick up a little bit more steam and starts you know making fun of some of the cliches of the original cartoon, like characters popping in and out of doors that shouldn't lead to other places and scrambling yeah. away from a villain. Yeah, I think there are either other nods to animation history in there. I think. I think I saw a character that was the same design as a character from the the show Recess. And I'm sure there are other characters yep. like that that I didn't pick up. There's a Captain Caveman riff. There's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of those. That's what I mean. It's it's the, the meta stuff is the stuff that I'm engaging with more than the characters or the writing. Yeah. I mean, I think if it's not engaging with the characters, to me, it just feels like well, then why did you want to make a Scooby-Doo series? Like, what was it about the franchise that you wanted to inhabit? If you're not very interested in who the characters are, it could have just been an original series. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the original characters are such, like, blank slates that you can put anything into them. And so mm-hmm. I think they're confident that making Fred the rich pig that he is is going to be funny to people who know this complete, like, <laughs> cipher of a character from the original uh, and that takes you a certain amount, but it doesn't take you, I think, as far as it needs to. Yeah, I think they went for the easy joke and they could have, you know, taken a little further, got a little bit more creative with it. Yeah. Well, you've heard what we think about Velma. We want to know what you think about Velma. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Serena Toros, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Glenn. This episode was produced by Ramel Wood and Hafsa Fatima and edited by Jessica Reedy. And Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor NetSuite by Oracle. You look around your business and see inefficiency everywhere. So you should know these numbers. 37,000, the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite just turned 25. That's 25 years of helping businesses streamline their finances and reduce costs. One, because your unique business deserves a customized solution. And that's NetSuite. Learn more at netsuite.com story. When Argentina won the World Cup, it meant so much to so many people. But there's one person in particular for whom it meant everything. Soccer legend Lionel Messi. In The Last Cup, a bilingual podcast series, I explore why. Listen now to The Last Cup podcast from NPR and Futuro Studios.